0: What does 2 Corinthians three, sixteen and 17 say? All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped, for every good thing God wants us to do. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Judges, if you haven't been here for a few weeks, we, uh, we've we been studying the book of Judges. And uh, isn't it such a fun book? You know, lots of mayhem and and uh, all kinds of other stuff. But uh, one of the things we're finding, right, is seems like every week we come back to the same thing. Um, We we see this cycle going on of people wanting to follow God. They reach out, they call for help because they're under some level of oppression in a very worldly situation. And then they call out for help and God provides someone to lead them out of that dark space and into the light. And then they have peace. And then suddenly somebody who was a leader dies and then they fall back into a way of sin and it's over and over and over again. So I thought this today we'd start out by uh, uh, um, kind of visiting with one of my favorite theologians. His name is Yogi Berra. Uh, he's, the, he's the one who termed the phrase déjà vu all over again. Uh, and I, I thought you'd maybe enjoy a couple of other of his deep theological thoughts. Uh, here's one. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. There you go. Um, I like this one. You can observe a lot by just watching. No one goes there nowadays. It's just too crowded. Anybody? Oh, okay, some of them are just going way... If you have to stand up to get these, just, you know, do that, all right? Okay. Uh, the future ain't what it used to be. And uh, here's one of my favorites. Always go to other people's funerals; otherwise, they won't come to yours. <laughs> just some just a little bit of advice from a sage person there. So, so déjà vu, déjà vu. We're going to talk today uh, about what causes the cycle of sin to start over again, and what do we do? What, what is actually God's response? To his people doing evil things, and how he helps us out of that cycle. All right. So, um, if you have your Bibles, Judges chapter four, uh, it's an interesting, interesting section here. This story it's it's told in two in two ways. One is a narrative in chapter four, but in chapter five, it's actually more poetic, like a song or a poem that's written uh, in verse to be able to kind of. Like we do, we we sing in order to to kind of imprint something on our minds, right? You sing a song over and over and over again, and uh, that's how we learned the the books of the Bible. It was a song. Um, we learned the alphabet by a, a song sometimes. So it it was a a practice that they used in the Old Testament too to put things to verse so that you would repetitively deal with Scripture and that it would be implanted in your heart. So uh, we'll see how that works out here in a little bit. But uh, here we are at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, after Ehud... Now, remember, Ehud was the left-handed guy. And by the way, I've got to apologize to all you lefties. You know, I, I, I mentioned that you were a little weird, but uh, it was all in fun. Hopefully, we'll, we'll take it that way. All right. Um, But Ehud was the judge who delivered them from the last evil potentate who was, who was really terrorizing Israel. And so it said that there was, there was peace in the land after Ehud delivered them from that situation for 80 years. Now he dies. He dies. It says after Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. Um, just a reference once again to the absence of godly leadership, uh, where, where there's that void where you don't have someone that you can can look to for help and for uh, an example of how to act and live uh, in response to God's grace. Um, we, we sometimes then lose it. We don't we don't have that person that we kind of think, man, you know, I can depend on that person. Um, he's an example to me. I look up to him or her. And, and when, when they exit your life, that might be a, that might be your grandma or your grandpa. It might be someone that you know and love and been a good friend all these years. And you think, wow, what am I going to do without that person in my life? I had a person in my life like that. Um, it was actually the lady who ran the Good News Bible Club in my mom's house. And um, she helped lead me to Christ, right? Her name was Ida Laycock. Ida, and uh, she prayed for me every single day of her life. And, I, and when she died and I, I did her funeral, I, w- I was in tears because I knew that a person who had faithfully prayed for me and kind of watched over me, you know, um, she was gone. And it leaves a hole in your, in your heart. So, you know, hopefully we all have someone in our life that, that encourages us in our faith, and encourages us to keep walking faithfully with God. Well, Ehud was that person for the uh, for the nation of Israel, and he is now gone. So without that direction, without that example, um, we have a tendency sometimes to, to fall back into sin. Sometimes when there's no accountability in our life we don't we don't uh, give ourselves over to someone else's watch care if you will. That's why it's so important to be part of a group or part of a, a, a at least a couple of people who share life together and encourage each other and watch over each other with a measure of accountability over our lives. Without that we have a tendency to to slip back into sin. But what is God's response to his people doing evil things? When we when we mess up, what does God provide for us? Now, it won't be exactly the things here that, that we see in the Old Testament, the Judges, but I think there are some things that we can gather from this. Um, I think the first thing that God does is uh, he's a good parent. He's a good father. He loves us desperately. But what he does is he lets us suffer the consequences of our choices when we don't look to him, okay? I mean, we we know uh, here in, in uh, verse two, it says, so the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazar, uh, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hasareth-Hagoyim. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. And you might be thinking, why wait so long? 20 years this guy had free reign with uh, what were the tanks of the day, iron chariots, just wreaking havoc among the, uh, the Israelites. It says he ruthlessly oppressed, and we'll learn more about him in a little bit. But remember, God... Loves his children, but sometimes he allows us to experience the the consequences of our bad choices. It doesn't mean that we're not under his grace. It doesn't mean that we aren't forgiven of our sin. But sometimes when we do things wrong, there are consequences. And sometimes letting those consequences play out is, is one of the best things that can happen to us in terms of learning what's right and what's wrong, Right um i mean dealing with our sin we're told to confess our sin regularly right agree with god that it's wrong agree with that it, it's that it's forgiven and then agree that that with god's help and the help of his the scripture his guidance and other other christians that we can overcome that sin right it's not it's not like taking your car in every 5000 miles to get the oil changed you know or just waiting until it's like tar and uh, my son uh his first car uh, he didn't check his oil, right? And then I get the phone call, Dad, you know, my car broke down. Really? Yeah. Um, What happened? Well, the mechanic uh, says the engine froze up. Well, we found out there was no oil in the engine. Okay? That happens when you don't take care of things the way that you're supposed to regularly take care of them. And so there was a consequence, right, for him, He had to buy a new car, right? And it cost him. And so he learned, and he checks his oil all the time now. Isn't that something? Okay. So that's something for us, too, is that, you know, sometimes uh, we could share stories here probably all morning about some of the consequences of the sin that we've committed and how that kind of woke us up. We get to that final point, and sometimes it takes 20 years before we say, okay, okay, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn to God now. We need to sometimes get to the bottom of the barrel before we can look up, right? Well, the second thing that He does is that He provides correction and direction, like 2 Timothy 3.16, right? Uh, we, we know that the scripture comes in and, and it, it teaches us the right path to go on. And then when we fall off the path or we slip or we slide or, uh, and, and He said, He provides correction. It's like, hey, 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 I'm gonna get your attention here. And then it it provides then this teaching to how to stay on that path, right? And so God's word is here for us to help correct us, teach us, train us in the way that we should live, right? Now, let's go back to Judges. Verse 4, Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go to her for judgment. Now, um, other judges we know from Scripture, they were warriors. Um, They were uh, people who were uh, basically uh, schooled in the art of war to be able to, you know, take care of business and, and to deliver them from these evil oppression. Deborah uses God's Word as a guide and, uh, uses God's Word then to help people figure out what God wants them to know about what's right, what's wrong. She's the judge, right? And so, uh, so here this reflects Jesus in the future who becomes our wonderful counselor, right? He is here to give us the word of God, and he comes in human flesh. He talks to us. He leads us. He tells us what's right and what's wrong. And it's reflective of Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Uh, It says that he is the wonderful counselor, establishing and upholding his kingdom with justice and righteousness. So here we have the first reflection of Jesus as this wonderful counselor in the person of Deborah. Okay. Now, this leads to the third thing. It says that he works through our faith and obedience to defeat the evil. And so if we've got evil in our life, we're doing things that, that are not pleasing to the way God wants us to live. The, the word of God um, is, is put up there in front of us as a mirror to help us see what's right, what's wrong. So in verse six here, it says one day she that's uh, that's Deborah uh, sent for Barak, son of Abinoam. Who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. And she said to him, This is what the Lord God of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. Now, I love how that's phrased because what she is saying here, this is a woman who's been put in a position of leadership. In, in the nation of Israel. And she then has a word from God and says, this is what the Lord of, God of Israel commands you. Commands you. Now, that's a word that most of us don't respond very well to. Okay? Command. Right? We rarely use that. I don't know if you ever, you know, in, when in the last month that you've told someone, I'm commanding you to go to the grocery store. Do we do that? We don't, do we? We are taught to ask nicely, right? And, and and so there is a little bit of a difference between a command and a suggestion. You know, I think sometimes we we read the Bible and we go, "Yeah, that, that's that's a, you know, okay idea." And sometimes we look at God's Word and we think that it's just God's friendly suggestion to us. When in reality even a suggestion from God should be treated as a command. Because what? God knows best. Right? And so when God speaks, we should actually receive that, not just as the suggestion, maybe a possible good idea, but as the best idea, and not just an idea, but something that should be acted upon. And so here we have have that reflected in Deborah's command to to the commander of the Israelite army. And so faith then is basically what? It's listening to God in every situation in your life and accepting and responding on his directions. So um, verse 7 says, And I will call out Caesarea, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River, And there I will give you victory over him. Now, this is God talking through Deborah to Barak. And he's got it all planned out. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he's just basically saying, this guy who's been oppressing you, who's been wreaking havoc for 20 years over you, with all of his iron chariots and all of his men who are ruthless, I'm going to call him out down to the Kishon River. And there I'm going to give you victory. Well, Here, faith is showing courage in the face of humanly overwhelming odds. God sometimes gives direction or correction or or tells us what to do, how to live, and it seems like it's just going to be way too difficult. Well, can you imagine Uh, this man, this commander uh, that has 900 iron chariots, is the one that you're going to face down. You haven't been able to defeat him for 20 years. And now you're the one who's going to go mano a mano, right? You're you're, you're going to get involved with this guy. And um, it looks like it's not going to be pretty. So Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Now, that's very interesting, right? There is a male commander of the Israelite army. And he says, well, I'll go, but only if you come with me. Now, it was actually uh, uh, an issue of respect here. Deborah is the one who has the word of God coming to her, through her, to him. And what Barak is saying here, it's not that he's chicken, right? It's that he wants to make sure that God's word is right there. Okay? Anything should happen, he wants to Refer to God's word and he knows that she is the prophetess and he wants her by his side. So she says, she says, very well, very well, I'll go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sarah will be at the hands of a woman. Now, this is really interesting here. Um, Now, this this is not a a story about women empowerment. Okay, it's not like, oh, yeah, go women. You know, here's a chance to put men down and to raise women up. This is not all about that. What it is, is that God is speaking through Deborah saying, listen, um, I'm going to give you victory. But what happens when a person wins in a battle like this? Well, they come back and they, you know, they, they had this parade. And who gets all the glory? The captain, right? The leader of the army. And God wants to make sure that Barak doesn't take this to himself and say, Oh, you know, I was such a good commander and I led the armies and, and I'm getting all the glory and the honor for this big battle that we overtook this guy. And uh, she says, Nope. Um, actually uh, faith is humble and it's not seeking honor for yourself. Our life is not led uh, to be doing great things for God so that we get the glory. Some people actually do that. They put themselves forward, you know, and they forget that God is the one who's given them their gifts, their talents, their abilities, their brain. God is the one who provides everything we need, right? And so even if good things happen because we were faithful, it doesn't mean that we should stand up and bring attention to ourselves because of it. If anything, we should stand and say, except for God's grace, God's miraculous glory, you know, nothing would happen from me. And so we put ourselves in a position of humility and say, yes, I'm a created being, created by God to do good works. But it's really all about him. It's not about me. OK. And so this is this is the word from Deborah it says, uh, you're not going to get any honor in this venture uh, because uh is going to be uh, taken down at the hands of a woman. Now, that's important. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a little bit. So Deborah goes with Barak to Kadesh. Verse 10, at Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. And Deborah also went with him. And now Heber, the Cainite, uh, a descendant of Moses, brother-in-law, uh, Habab had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the, the oak of, boy, here's a good word, Zaynayim, near Kadesh. Now, when Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors. And they marched from Hesereth Hagoyim, to the Kishon River, right where God said he was going to wind up. And then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day that the Lord will give you victory over to Sarah, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. Now well, that's good news, right? So the prophetess of God says to, to Barak, this is it. This is the day. Are you ready? And that might be a way to, to wake up in the morning every day, right? I mean, you know, get your, get your husband or your wife or one of your kids or whatever. You say, Hey, are you ready today? This is the day. This is the day. We need to have that kind of anticipation in our life that God is going to work today. We can we can dream about and, you know, think about things that that were good in the past. And we can long for those good old days or we can, you know, think and plan, plan, plan about our future. But you know what? You can only live today. Only live today. And there are there are things that we're going to have to conquer today. And so she says, this is it. This is it today. And so then it says, so um, so Barak led his ten thousand warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle, and when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Now this is weird, right? I mean, why did why did they panic? Did they panic because of the Israelite army coming up? I really don't think so. Something else happened there that God did. Had nothing to do with the Israelite army per se. I mean, they were there, but God threw Sisera and his chariots and his horses and the warriors all into a panic. Now this, this is the transition into the poem or, or the song that we talk about now. Uh, chapter 5 verse 20. Says this. Gives a little insight into the panic. It says, the stars fought from heaven. The stars in their orbits fought against Sisera. The Kishon River swept them away that ancient torrent in Kishon. Now they were very familiar with flash flooding in those days. Okay, it was a desert kind of area. We know that. And so here, all of a sudden, I mean, think about it. You've got iron chariots. Iron is heavy, right? Chariots were usually made out of wood. They, these were made out of iron. And so um, you wouldn't normally take iron chariots down to a riverbed unless it was dry, right? Otherwise, they'd get stuck in the mud. And then what good? You've got a stuck chariot, and you're a sitting duck, literally, right, for a, for a war scenario, and so, so, Sarah, it must have been dry land, it must have been, you know, good, good, uh, management for, for these iron chariots down there, but then what happened? A surprise meteor shower, stars, boom, 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 coming out of the sky, a sudden rainstorm that causes a flash flood, and now all of a sudden the chariots are stuck. They can't maneuver at all, and so they get overrun. By the Israelites, you see, God, who rules nature, used his power to battle against man made things that they thought were unbeatable, right? So Sarah would have never positioned his chariots next to a river if he was expecting rain, okay? He didn't have the weather channel back then, I guess, okay? Uh, it was probably the dry season, but God directed Barak to... Uh, to lure Sisera, Sisera's army to a place where God could literally destroy them without the Israelites' help, right? So what happens here? Uh, Sisera leaps down from his chariot and escapes on foot. And verse 16 says, Then Barak chased the enemy army, uh, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael the wife of Heber the Kenite. Now, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent. Now, this lady, right? This lady, Jael, um, knowing who this man was should have given him deference. And of course, it was kind of a ritual in those days that if someone comes to your tent, you greet them, and then you invite them in and take care of them. I mean, you're, you're kind of hosting this person. Well, here, this guy is probably clad in his armor and all this stuff, and she goes out to meet him, and he's probably you know, tuckered out from running in armor. And so then it says she went in, uh, so he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Uh, maybe he was hiding in her tent. He thought that he was safe. He went to her tent because they were kind of on, Sarah's uh, team. But you know, just because just because you are a, a part of, you know, the Canaanites, uh, you realize now, oh, something has happened, and you realize maybe this is Sarah. He is this person who leads all these awful people to do terrible things to the Israelites. Now, he says this. He says, please give me some water. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk. A little bit of a rebellious spirit, don't you think? You know? So she gives him some milk from a leather bag and covers him again. Now, what does a blanket and milk represent? Oh, you're getting a little sleepy here, you know? Okay, I mean, now that may be our take on it, it's a modern take, but a little bit of warm milk and a blankie, you know? Hey, it, it's time for bed, right? Okay. So, so he, he snuggles down there, right? And he says, stand at the door of the tent, he told her, if anybody comes and asks, uh, ask you if there is anyone here, say no. So at this point, Sisera has run away from the battle, he realizes that his troops have been overwhelmed. He's losing. He runs into this lady's tent and says, Hey, uh, if anybody comes, I'm not here. Right? I'm not here. So let's stop right there for a minute. Remember, Deborah told Barak, But you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. Okay? Now, uh, this may be why God chose a woman instead of a man for the job. Uh, chapter 5, verse 30, sheds some light on Caesarea um, and that cruelty that the Bible refers to. Um, so Sisera here um, says in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 30, they must be dividing the captured plunder with a woman or two for every man. Caesar so was kind of late coming home from the battle. And I think this is his mother-in-law here. Uh, she says, Oh, you know, they're saying, Well, how come Caesar hasn't returned yet? And her response is, "Ah, oh, they must be dividing the captured people there, right? A woman or two for every man. It was it was very common in that day that if a nation, warring nation, took over another nation, one of the things that they would do, one of the plunder of the, that, that war were the women. And they would take the women and the girls and they would give them to the warriors as pleasure plunder. Right? Uh, a common term might be sex slave. Okay? So this kind of opens our eyes a little bit to see that, that, that here, Sisera uh, was well known for doing this. When he would, you know, rough people up and the, and, and, you know, do his thing with the Israelite nation, one of the things that he was very well known for is it he would go in and he would take the women and he would take the girls and he would use them as plunder and treat them uh, with disdain by making them sex slaves for all of the, the warriors of his nation. So now you can see God doing a little payback, right? And I think here it's it's poetic justice, if you will, that God allows a woman to be able to take care of business. Interesting. So in verse 21, it says, When Cicera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. And then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground. And so he died, it says. It was kind of like, okay, he died. <laughs> you know, usually if you put a tent peg through somebody's, you know, head, they're going to die. Okay. But now, now contrary to common thought, this is not where we got the term nailed it. Okay. Just. Lighten the mood a little bit, okay? Uh, and and I, I did refrain from doing another graphic picture on this one, too, for you this week. So, okay. Um, it says, so on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. Well, the last thing I see here of how god reacts you know to to evil is that he enacts justice by his timetable in his time you see god is still the the god of justice i mean he yes he, he has poured out his grace on all of us and he will continue to do so our sins have been forgiven you know, sometimes he allows us to, to suffer the consequences of those sin until maybe we cry out to him for help. And then we look to God's word as a prophetic voice into our life to be able to respond positively with obedience to him so that we can overcome maybe that evil area of our life and put it to death finally. But this last thing that he enacts justice in his, his time we need to, to take this to heart because sometimes, um, sometimes our sin is, is a result of us doing wrong. It's our choice. But we all know too that there are some very bad things that happen to good people because there are some evil out there in the world. And so we, we pray for relief sometimes, uh, and we say, God, can't we take care of this situation? Um, can't, can't you fight the battle for me? And, and, and so we, we've got to really guard ourselves against trying to be judgmental against people who are even, um, treating us badly and treating us in, in a way that, that, um, needs to be judged. But we need to keep in mind that, that, uh, Jesus changes things, um, in Luke 6, 27 and 28, he says that we need to to love, bless, and pray for our enemies. I mean, those who do evil against you and say all manner of bad and evil things against us. What do we do? We pray. And we even bless. We say, God, pour down a blessing on them. Help them. Put them in a situation where they will finally respond to your Love and your grace, we don't wish evil on even our enemy. We would pray that our enemy would turn to God and be forgiven and and be made right again. You know we can also rest in this. Uh, we can do that because um, because we know that one day everyone is going to be held accountable, right. I mean, if we don't embrace the forgiveness that God provides for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus, then there's judgment. But when we embrace that forgiveness, God says that that, that Jesus, you know, through his blood, we're forgiven. and says that he sits at the right hand of the Father and he pleads our case. And when God sees us doing something wrong, Jesus reminds him that sin is paid for. I paid for that sin on the cross, so he so our sin is not held against us. Jesus has already absorbed that punishment on the cross, and so now um, now we we have have a situation in revelation eleven says this uh, verses fifteen through eighteen um, talks about the there will be a day when everyone will face God, and either God will see them and say... Your sin has been forgiven, or he will say, "No, now is the day that you will pay the penalty for your sin." It'll be an awesome, uh, awesome day, um, and it'll be an interesting time for people who will finally be accountable for their actions and punished accordingly. Romans twelve nineteen says this: "Dear friends, never take revenge." Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So we, we can rest in that. And, I, and I, I know myself, I have to, you know, keep from saying, yeah, you know. Instead, I need to say, Lord, if there's any way to show yourself to this person, who is, is mean-spirited, who's evil, who's awful. Lord, show them your glory so that they can respond. Because except for the grace of God, there we all go, right? Okay? And so we need to, to pray, Lord, um, may those, those you love rise like the sun in all its power. And those who don't love you, may they see your face and come to repentance and then become part of the family of God, that we can, we can celebrate together that moment. Um, it's hard, really, really hard. But let's pray a, a prayer of thanks that God provides relief for us, and it also provides an opportunity for those who may, may still be uh, living an evil life, against God, the one true God, that they would respond, that they would respond to his love and grace and forgiveness. So let's pray to that end for our enemies. All right, let's pray. God, thank you. Um, Wow, what a story. I see these things and I shake my head and I just wonder what would it have been like to be there Um, but to live under that kind of oppression. Lord, we, we, we all struggle in in our own areas of sin, things that draw us in or tempt us. And, uh, Lord, we find ourselves in that cycle over and over and over again. Um, but, Lord, thank you that you continue to forgive our sin and to provide a prophetic word that, that speaks into our life. Lord, help us to listen to your word. Help us not just to be hearers but be doers and to let your word have its way with us. Um, Lord, thank you for the correction that you give us, even if it means um, experiencing whatever the consequences are for what we've done wrong. But God, we ask that you would just do whatever we need to help us love you more and help love others more and love our enemies like you love me. Lord, we uh, thank you for this day. We thank you for a chance to gather around your word as it speaks into our hearts and minds and lives. We pray that you would just help us respond uh, in love to your love to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.